Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We're not animals. I mean, sometimes we, we ask, where, where, was, where was a pitch or, or if, if it was a strike? And they want to come at, <clears throat> at us like, like we offended them. I mean, we. I think we can we can talk the talk the the things out. If if you disrespect somebody, then then you get ejected. But I don't think there there was nothing there to get to get ejected. That's a voice of Javi Baez last night after getting tossed by Will Little in front of forty thousand people who came to watch an umpire umpire a game. I think we all know that. This hour on Hit and Run is brought to you by Schomburg Honda Automobiles. When searching for a new Honda, search for SchombergHondaAutos.com. Barry Rosner, Joe Ostrowski with you on Hit and Run till about 1245, taking you up to Cubs baseball. Right now, it's our pleasure to go out to the score hotline where we're joined by Doug Glanville, baseball insider for NBC Sports Chicago. I was covering the Cubs when he was drafted. I was covering the Cubs when he was called up, and I remember all five of his home runs from 1996 and 97. Okay, I don't, I don't actually don't remember one of them, but you can follow him on Twitter at Doug Glanville, and right now you hear him on Hit and Run. Hey, Doug, thanks for your time. All right, man. Good morning. How things going? Everything's great. Um, you obviously uh, watched the bias stuff last night. As a former player, what goes through your mind when you see an umpire uh, take over a game like that and decide that he's the show rather than the player? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, well, fortunately, throughout my career, I, I had never been ejected, so that, that's a. I know you were a respectful a good, guy. A you were very, and, very classy guy. And so I, I think you know the play that often is confusing, often is this check swing, right? This sort of uh, judgment call, and you always think as a player that oh, there's these other umpires there that have these better perspectives. But it's within the power of the home plate umpire to to make that call if they see it, and we always, you know, used to counter that. Well, there's obviously a lot they need to pay attention to as an umpire at home. You know, you're looking at the pitch, and then you're also calling the swing. So, you know, the appeal is sort of that standard backup plan, and it frustrates players a lot when you you feel like there's someone in a better position uh, that you think makes uh, should make that call and. You know, many times over the years, as we've discussed it more, especially once instant replay came in, uh, you know, home plate umps would say, uh, you know, well, we are in a position to make that call on a swing also. And that's sort of the back and forth. But uh, the bandwidth to be able to stay in the game, for example, especially, you know, Javi Byers is so critical to the Cubs. And according to Joe Madden, a lot of his comments were there was there was no there there with respect to what sort of pushed the button to take it to that level. Do you think Baez is the Cubs MVP? Yeah, I mean, I think he is. I mean, he is just his contributions are on every side of the ball. You know, I mean, and sides of the ball that don't even exist. Right, he's running the bases. He's uh, he's creating magic defensively. He can play anywhere, so he's got the versatility. Uh, but he's also a, a guy that's showing great promise offensively, spraying the ball around and hitting for average, but also with power. And he's stealing bases. I mean, I don't know what. You know what else? What's missing? You know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to walk 110 times, but when he's hot, he's power hot, and he's also getting hits, which are productive, obviously, with the with the RBI t- totals being where they are. So, uh, and I'd add to your point that he's going to be in consideration of MVP of the league, <laughs> not, not just yeah. for the Cubs. I mean, that's how well he's playing right now. 
Doug, you wrote a piece on the stolen base the other day, which was really interesting. The um, the approach to it when you were young and, and worked with Sandy Alomar Sr. and the way teams approach it now. What did you learn from your conversation with Theo Epstein about this? Well, it was a it was a good conversation to bring that combination of the past, you know, as you mentioned, my time coming up. I mean, I retired in 2005, and then now the sort of world we're living in with instant replay and analytics and how decisions are made. And I, you know, what I came away from it is it's something that organizations think about a lot, right? They think about the value of a run and the value of an out and how you sort of always have to balance off the risk and reward in baseball. And my, you know, I approached them only in this conversation of, hey, you know, we're trying to understand why the stolen base is declining as much as it is in terms of just the attempts, let alone the success um, of just the, the, how it's perceived as being successful, I should say, um, and whether you should take that risk. And he's like, well, he talked a lot about run environment. And that's another way of describing a, a base runner being aware of the circumstances and the right times to run. So Sandy Alomar Sr. used to say, you know, know the scoreboard, know the situation, know what you have to do. He never gave me a chart saying, you know, your run expectancy went up by this percentage when you stole it, but he sort of gave you a sense of what's a good time to run. You know, runner on second base, no outs, not a good time. You know, you get caught at third. That's the Sammy Uh, Sosa stolen base right there and getting caught stealing. Yeah, you saw that up close. Right. So, so, you know, exactly. So I, I... the run expectancy is a is now a data point in baseball to consider you know, what the game sort of looks like before you take a chance and and in stealing a base and what it looks like after, and you're always weighing that and the risk of stealing a base versus what you lose if you don't make it is a big gap in there and it's tilted a lot towards hurting your team. So for you to run and steal at the quote unquote right time. You have to make it at a very high percentage, uh, and, and that's what you have to consider. Now, if you steal an 80% clip, then it, it's worth it because at times that you advance the base, you know, an extra 90 feet will counteract what you lose that one time you got caught. And and so, but he added some really interesting ideas about, well, how do we bring this back? Right, it's an exciting part of the game, and he mentioned all kinds of ideas. Uh, you, know, you know, one of which was just talking about the base itself. Like, um, we, we talk about running down the first base line, and there's this running lane, and staying in the lane. Well, the base is in fair territory. The running lane is in foul territory. Things like that, right? So, how do you, you know, make it make it more interesting to steal? I said, well, you could shorten the distance, not between, you know, not between the constructs of 90 feet, but you could make the base bigger. You could look and you know all these things we were just sort of kicking around. And what does that do? Well, the base, you know. Uh, he asked me a question. He said, well, how big is the base? And I was like, I don't know. It's like, you know, he's like, well, it's 15 by 15, 15 inches by 15 inches. And would people notice if that was a little bit bigger and shorten the distance just enough where those bang, bang plays are, are, are safe? Maybe, you know, that's one thing. Uh, the other point I'd make is he, he talked about instant replay and I'm, I'm like, it drives me crazy as a base runner when you're stealing and you're going 20 miles an hour and you hit the base and the, the fielder's holding the glove on you for, you know, 10 minutes, it seems like, just waiting for that micro inch for you to come off the base so that you get caught by instant replay, which I argue is not necessarily the point of instant replay. Right. 
Absolutely. Uh, we saw what happened on Friday with John Lester and some of the peripherals look ugly, even though he had arguably one of the best uh, seasons of his career through through the first half. The hard hit rate, the XFIP's ugly, lower strikeout rate, uh, lower BABIP so far this year. How do you view Lester in the second half? Well, Lester, there's no question. I mean, this has been a fantastic season. I mean, one of his best ones. And yes, he took you know a little bump in the road there. But he's always finding a way to, to be able to stretch what you think of as, oh, he's an older player, you know, might catch up to him. And yet he continues to find ways to excel. I mean, last year was a tough year comparatively. And I see him still being a key asset. I mean, right now he is the ace. He's the guy that you look to to get that big win. I mean, if you have the playoff start tomorrow, John Lester is, is your number one guy, right? And, uh, you know, certainly statistically, so outside of matchups. So Lester has been that, and they need him to stay on that path. And when you mentioned C.O. Epstein, one thing he talked, you know, certainly chimed in on is the motivational side of getting guys like uh, Kyle Hendricks or Quintana back on track. Because if they pitch the way they have pitched, they are what they need. You know, and that's a tough equation to decide do you make a move or not because you have and of course you Darvis, the sort of mystery guy, uh if he's at his best, then you then you have a completely uh capable rotation to take uh you know to go all the way the distance. As you look around out there in the game, and we're visiting with Doug Glanville from NBC Sports Chicago. He's the baseball insider. As you look around the game, anything out there of great interest to you if they were to try to find a starter who might be able to give them some innings, which is something they certainly need right now. Anything out there of particular interest to you? Well, they, you know, the Chavez signing is uh, or the move. That's that's a good one because he's so versatile, and that fits into you know how the Cubs have approached things over the years. Right, the the versatility has been important on on offense and defense. So that allows them some flexibility to what they're going to do with Montgomery and how they can sort of decide uh, that I, I like that signing I mean, that move. I, I, I like that. Then you add, uh, well, if you go out into the marketplace, I've been big on just saying, you know, they don't need like a DeGrom. I mean, obviously they would welcome it, but his cost is going to be through the roof, but they can still get a number three, two, three guy that's strong and not necessarily crazy expensive on the, on the trade block and accomplish a lot of what they need. Because if Darvish comes back and he's healthy, great. If someone, you know, finds it in the second half, Hendricks and Quintana, they still have so many possibilities where it would be a lot to just give up the, the kitchen sink to get an ace. So you get a middle guy. And I, I mentioned Jeremy Hellickson on that one show. Now the Nationals would not give him up most likely because he's cheap. But that's an example of a guy that having a nice bounce back season, not you know throwing strikes, um, eats up innings, all the things you mentioned. Uh, you know, I mentioned the Francisco Liriano, Liriano someone who's like kind of been there before. And uh, so there, there's some possibilities, uh, but I would, I definitely am all in on making that kind of move and, and creating more depth in their starting rotation. If you add a, say someone like Liriano or Hap, where do you think they would fit in, in this rotation? Well, as the season has played out, you, you know, Lester's been the guy. I mean, at this point, you're not as much counting who's one, two and three, as much as when you're, getting closer to the finish line and you're starting to see the playoffs as a reality, then now you start, you know, making a line, uh, you know, aligning. Now they already have the lefties and you add a half 
uh, who probably wouldn't be cheap, but you know, definitely a, a good option. Uh, and you add, you know, Liriano. So now you have, you know, three lefties out of five or Montgomery. <laughs> so, right. so that's a lot of, that, that's a left-handed. So that, that's what you may have to weigh and what, what moves you make. But, um, you know, there's no question that, you know, when you look at your roster con- uh, construction, I, I see when you talk to a Madden or even a Buck Showalter historically, they see these teams that was all 40 on the 40 man roster is necessary and part of, the decision-making process. It's not just the 25 guys right now, because as you saw Carl Edwards Jr., people go down. You need that kind of depth to sustain because injuries are going to be part of it. So um, so that's the lens that I look at, and the guy that can really give you the innings, uh, you know, really can sort of be different roles like a Chavez, and also can be a guy that you can you know consider maybe not the number one, but number three starter in a, in a, a postseason series. Doug, you obviously came up as a young guy with expectations, and it's difficult for young players in the big leagues. Uh, I mean, you weren't as young as some of the White Sox players are right now, but you know what it's like to get to the big leagues and struggle because it's hard. Baseball is hard. It's really hard at the major league level. As you watch what the White Sox are doing, what goes through your mind when you see some of these young guys and their ups and downs? Well, what goes through my mind is this is part of the – the way you develop in major league baseball. And it's more so now because there's so many guys that get either drafted and very quickly get to the big leagues and the expectations are right behind it, that there's not as much bandwidth for those struggles. You know, like, I mean, for me, in some ways, what might've benefited me, I mean, I got what I would consider a little later than I had hoped to arrive, but I also was able to weave into the team without being like, okay, here, you're going to start a center fielder, go. You know, like, and it's like, okay, and you're going to struggle at a major league level, which is tough. Um, I think, you know, while you're polishing your game and getting it together uh, in the minor leagues, nowadays you get there and it's like, okay, you know, time, time to produce. So the patience is very much part of the equation. But if you, if you have it and the players are, are learning, then you have the examples we've seen the last few years of homegrown talent, or excellent moves made by organizations with young players that have the time to develop. You add a couple pieces, and they're world championship. I mean, Houston Astros, Kansas City Royals, Giants made some you know great trades in all those seasons. Obviously, the Cubs. That that's the formula today. And so, from a White Sox fan standpoint, it's it's just seeing that the, the patience required, and, and it's tough when you're almost 30 games under, <laughs> you know, under 500, or you're you know you're struggling at that level. Uh, but there's no question that they have a lot of talent on that team. I'm adding uh, Matt Carpenter to the Cub killer list. Did you re- <laughs> do you recall a, a teammate or even an opponent go on a run like this? Whew, wow. Um, well, I know that I was with the Phillies when Sammy Sosa had that June or whatever, <laughs> the 20 home runs. And he, I, I want to say he hit, many home runs off us as the Phillies and the few times that we played against each other. So uh, that was, you know, 98 is an easy season to pick up where McGuire, you know, every time they played against us, they were, they were hitting home runs. And you just, you just think it it wasn't even possible that you could hit, not just getting on base, but just hitting for power uh, is uh, in that kind of streak. But Carpenter is, you know, he's, he's next level. I mean, you know, I joked yesterday on Twitter that, you know, he, he on the bus ride back to the hotel, he hit another home run. <laughs> you 
know, I mean, the guy is. Um, he did it know, when he didn't. He wasn't in the starting lineup for some reason. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's uh, no, it's awesome to see. And no matter what, uh, I remember Wayne Gomes, the team out of mine, and Scott Rowland got hot and hit two home runs in this game. And, and uh, with total sincerity, said the Rowland after the game. I would pay to watch you play, man. <laughs> but I get it for free every day. <laughs> so, so there's um, no some great great players, right? And, and Carpenter is you know, he's done a lot of damage, not just the Cubs over the years. Hey, Doug, great stuff, really fun. Thank you for joining us. I hope we can do it again, and uh, we'll see you at the ballpark. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Doug. Doug Glanville from NBC Sports Chicago. He's a baseball insider. You see him on Baseball Night in Chicago on NBC Sports Chicago. I covered him. Really, really thoughtful guy. Really good guy. Uh, I'm not surprised he didn't get thrown out of any games because he wouldn't be the type. Um, That's a really interesting piece. You should find the one he wrote about the stolen base and the analytics that are involved in it. It's funny because you hear when you hear about some of the – uh, the modern analytics, what you realize is there were guys talking about this stuff back then. I mean, Don Zimmer used to talk about on-base percentage. It's just I don't even know if there was an on-base percentage, but he used to talk about it. That's why it's funny when um, we, we go back and, and look at war of certain seasons and well, maybe this guy should have been the MVP or this guy should have been the MVP. It wasn't there. Right, it <laughs> you know, didn't, it, it didn't. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something they were looking at when they were tr- when voters were trying to weigh that. Um, I, I wish we I, had had Bob Bip back then because I yeah. don't know that there's any. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I don't know that there's anything more uh, more telling. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, exit velocity for a pitcher, and you're talking about Lester's uh, Lester's hard hit rate and and um, and his xFIP. There's a lot of stuff, but. But BIP, whether for a pitcher or a hitter, yes, I think is really telling. And I, I noticed Lester's is down, which hasn't been brought up much. Just lucky with the defense. I heard that, that that's a reason that the Orioles uh, brought in Brady Anderson, and he's involved a lot, even when he was a player that, that he was looking at on base and stuff like that a lot. When uh, Jordan Spieth puts out here, Tiger Woods is going to be leading the Open champion. Tiger is the favorite right now. He That's is, for the first time. He is, on a Sunday, leading a major championship, or at least tied for the lead with uh, Xander Schauffele. And if Spieth makes his bogey putt, uh, Jordan Spieth will be tied as well. This Open Score update is brought to you by the Grand Geneva Resort and Spa. Play championship golf in Lake Geneva. Visit GrandGenevaGolf.com. Um, I texted you this. About two weeks before the Open, Joe, maybe it was three weeks before the U.S. Open. I'm sorry, the U.S. Open. I said, Tiger could win the Open Championship. And you laughed at me. You laughed at me not because you thought it was ridiculous, but because I had said it's insane to talk about Tiger in a major championship this year. But the way that he played in the month leading up to the U.S. Open, and I didn't like him in the U.S. Open. I said he could win the Open Championship because he can hit iron all day off the tee. And the way he's flighting his irons, and by the way, he's uh, hit his irons better than anybody in the field this week, which is not a surprise. He's the greatest iron player of all time. Just given the circumstances, I didn't think that I would get there. And I texted you and I said, he could win the Open Championship. Now as we sit here on Sunday, he is tied with Xander Schauffele. Jordan Spieth is one back after a double. And 
Um, it's this is happening. I'm not saying that's how it's going to end up. It's just extraordinary. It's really extraordinary that we're actually here talking about. No that. matter what happens the rest of this morning, this is a huge victory for golf and for Tiger Woods. Yeah, and uh, I'll only speak for me. My life is better when Tiger Woods is playing great golf. When we come back, uh, I want to get more into the Lester thing, the things that he said, more on analytics, uh, more on the Cubs pitching staff. We don't have a guest till 11 o'clock, so we can get into the White Sox as well here on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good job for Harper last night. Some drama late. Uh, all those home runs late. The beat Schwerber wins the home run hitting contest here in this ballpark. Who? You mean who? Schwerber. Schwerber? That's not even a hard name. Coppich. On sports. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Coppich, whatever his name is. <laughs> what, yeah, whatever his name is. Who's he? But he's just uh, a guy. He's just some guy. Pretty good. I don't think they can keep him down much longer. He's just some guy. The other kid can't make the stamp with those 110 miles an hour. I mean... Coppich, whatever his name is, can't make the team. Passing's the best part. The pass and laugh is great. It reminds me of you. Like That's what you would be doing. Now you got your podcast going on here, the Yahoo Jeff Passan podcast. Let me hear some thoughts on that for a sec. Go ahead. Oh, we've lost Barry. We were being serious for too much of the show. After an hour and a half, it's over. Now you got your podcast going on here, the Yahoo. Yahoo. <laughs> The Yahoo. He had a stroke in the middle of the segment. Kopich is just some guy. He's just some guy. Because he's never that seen guy. Him. Whatever his name is, how could you not know? Whatever his name is, like he's just some guy. Like he's just like he was just some throw in on the deal. The was, Washington kid was about seven foot tall. He can't throw the ball over the plate, so I'm tired of him too. <laughs> <You're> tired <laughs> of him too, because you watch a lot of White Sox games, probably. Right. Don't you? <laughs> He's tired of it. I'm a little down on the White Sox all the way around. Did he? Do we have a new one, Eli? You said he he uh, <laughs> was disparaging again this week. What's his fascination with the White Sox? Why does he care about the Anything White Sox? Anything that you can rip—that's what. You know, oh, that's, what that's it is. the whole let's, thing. Let's bang on them for a sec. Hot take. Hot take. Yell Hot loud. Talk. Yeah. This... Feigned outrage. Like I thought we were a lot were, of that going around. Yeah, people try. You can keep trying. Uh Eli, you have something new people from uh, that Mad Dog on, on the White Sox? Yeah, so he's talking about the rebuild with the White Sox, talking about rebuilds in baseball with the Indians trading for Brad Hand, and here's what he had to say on that deal, and then it leads into the White Sox. He hasn't been as dominant as we've seen him in the past in 2018, but the Indians need some help in our bullpen. Plus, it gives them insurance, most importantly. If and when uh, Allen and, of course, our buddy Andrew Miller leave free agents at the end of the year, now they can still uh, fortify their bullpen. Heavy price to pay. I'm sure they didn't want to have to trade this catcher, but uh, Plutter's a good GM. He knows what he's doing, too. The Padres continue to collect prospects. That doesn't always work 
We have known that. Look at the White Sox. Everybody uh, raved about the Adam Eaton collection and, of course, the uh, sale collection. And there's still 50 games under 500. And, you know, I don't want to hear about Delato uh, now. It's a couple of decent games in a row. They have done nothing. So you got to keep that in mind before you go crazy. But it seems like San Diego's on the right path here. I don't want to hear about Delato uh, now. He's pitched a couple of decent games in a row. Delato. <laughs> I don't want to hear about Delato uh, now. He's pitched a couple of decent games in a row. <laughs> what a dope. And there's still 50 games under 500. Oh, man. Yeah. It caught it, me off guard, the Galato. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I love a good Galato. Isn't that a dessert? Yes. I believe that's, that's a dessert, Very right? delicious. At a fine Italian restaurant? Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. God. Yeah, they're a full <laughs> They're a full one year and three months into a rebuild. And they, it's it was complete a dis- the trade failure. Was a disaster. Oh, trade was a disaster for the White Sox. How is it working for the Nats? Has Admin played a week yet? The uh, sale collection. He's been hurt for two years. I know he's back now, but for the most part, what has he done for them? I like the Coppage stuff the best because he throws 110 miles an hour. He doesn't know his name, and he's just some, like, throw-in in a deal. Like, how do you not know who he is? The other kid can't make the stamp with those 110 miles an hour. I mean, Coppage, whatever his name is, can't make the team. Ass and laugh that gets me every time. Cop <laughs> it. He was losing it. Then, when he, then he lost it more at the e- end. Eli, what did I say to Castro Vince last week when we were when we were talking about? Uh, he's on that network. Uh, Anthony Castro Vince is on that network all the time. Yeah, but you don't see him a lot on the uh, on Mad Dog. He's Anthony Castrovince. You can follow him on Twitter, at Castrovince. You can see him on the MLB Network 15 or 20 times a day. You don't do high heat, though, do you? You know, I haven't, I've done it a couple times. Um, always always fascinating going high heat with Chris Russo. Because <laughs> yeah. Whatever your talking points are, they get thrown out the window because it's, it's whatever uh, <laughs> whatever springs to his mind in that second. So, yeah, always if, fun. If he's not inviting you on, don't complain. Is, would, would be my, <laughs> that would be my position. But, understood, you know, understood. But that's just me. <laughs> Understood. Like you think he's in a hurry to want to do that? Yeah, I don't think he's in a big hurry to do that. I don't think so. Now you got your podcast going on here, the Yahoo Jeff Passan podcast. Let me hear some thoughts on that for a sec. Go ahead. How come uh, we don't have an Yahoo podcast? And what kind of a podcast? We is did a it? podcast last week, but it wasn't on baseball. It also wasn't an Yahoo. I mean, what kind of a podcast is that? Is that like a? Is that um a, is that a sport? Is that a um uh, is that an e game? What is that? What what's an i chocolate milk? I have no idea. I don't know. Now you got your podcast going on here. The Yahoo. We had things we were going to do, Eli. I know a lot. And of once things. again, and you he have... throws us off. He he likes that. He likes to throw us off. <laughs> he likes to see me struggling. And then after Which... the show, he's like, "Great show, guys! Great show! Great show!" Every week. I don't need any help to struggle. Get through a show. <laughs> I want to do an I Who podcast. Does what that did, make me a bad person? I would like to do an I Who podcast. So you I would just call do, it the I Who podcast with Barry Rosner? Oh, we should. Oh, yeah. We got to copyright that. How do you spell that? 
E I H O O. E I H. Yeah, that just rolls off the tongue. I mean, it's going to be a a big hit. People will. Wait, when they're trying to search it on iTunes, E I H O O. It's perfect. A, now big... you got your podcast going on here, the Yahoo Jeff Possum podcast. Let me hear some thoughts on that for a sec. Go ahead. Uh, Eli, stop. It's going to be a big hit. That's going to be big. Jeez. All right, Joe, would you hit the legal, please? Wow. Please? Yeah, I just want to let you know that Hit and Run is brought to you by Northwestern Football. The Wildcats have the best home schedule in the nation this fall. They're hosting Michigan, Notre Dame, and more at Ryan Field. Season and single game tickets are on sale now at nusports.com. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Lakeside Bank. Why do banks make banking so incredibly complicated? At Lakeside Bank, they make banking incredibly easy. No hoops to jump through. Their bankers have the experience and the authority to get things done fast, whatever you need. Join them. Lakeside Bank, it's about time. All right, let's take a break. Because we have to get this back on track. Okay, I've, I've got I've got something coming up next. Uh, I, I mentioned to Doug Glanville, put Matt Carpenter in that list of Cubs killers. I have some numbers on some other Cubs killers. Oh, could I just could I just give you one that has to be at the top of the list, or you want me to wait? Because uh, I know the name that comes to mind. Wait, wait on yours, okay. and I, I wonder if he may. I, I looked up four guys that came to mind right away. Okay. I, look, I looked at the stats for four guys. I, I My guess is your guy's on the list, but we'll see. Uh, my guy's got to be at the top of the list. Tiger Woods, by the way, has solo lead on Sunday at the Open Championship. Wow. My heart is a flutter. Um, when we come back also, Joe, I want to get to uh, more of this on the Cubs pitching staff and something that Ed Lynch said a couple of months ago. And we got to get to the Leicester audio as well. Sorry, White Sox fans, we have much to do with you. If you're watching the Open Championship, please continue, but keep the sound down and listen to us right here on Hit and Run on the Score. Give me some thoughts on that for a sec. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner with you for two more hours, taking you up to Cubs baseball here on the Score. Not a very lovely day right now, but I believe it is supposed to clear up by game time. Is that your understanding, Eli, of the weather in Washington, D.C. right now? Uh, Pulling that weather up as we speak. The weather actually in D.C. is supposed to be pretty terrible for today, Oh, uh, raining the entire day. But in Chicago, yes, I believe it's supposed to clear up around 1 o'clock. Okay, lovely. Um, that was my understanding as well. Um, I think that uh, the wind will be blowing in again today, which uh, I think is a benefit to Cubs pitchers. We've been talking about the Cubs pitching staff and uh, what's been going on really all year. And uh, it led me to a couple of things. One was was this box score. We'll get to your Cubs killers in just a second, Joe. I found this box score. Just just stay with me here for a second. I realize this is a long time ago, but I've always remembered this game. This is a Cubs 10 to 7 win over the Phillies in 1980. 10 to 7, 24 hits, four errors. The game took 2 hours and 18 minutes. 17 runs, 24 hits, four errors. The game took 2 hours and Two hours and uh, eighteen minutes. But here's here's the here's here's the part that always gets me. I always remembered this for some reason. 
Rick Rushell pitched a complete game for the Cubs, giving up 13 hits, seven runs, six earned, with a pair of walks, 4K, two homers. There's no pitch count. They don't, they don't have a pitch count on baseball reference for this box because it's too long ago. But he must have thrown 130, 140 pitches, right, in a game like that, giving up that many hits? Crazy game like that? Yeah. But I, re- I, can- I, I remember Jack Brickhouse saying, well, they're just staying with him because he's, he's getting outs. He's getting outs, and they don't have a better option. And it wasn't abnormal then. Can you imagine? The Phillies had five runs in the first three innings. Is there a pitcher in baseball today who's in the game after, after five runs? No. In the first three innings? Nope. Cubs won the game 10-7. to Russell pitched a complete game. It's obviously a very different world that we live in. Well, what's going to happen is if your bullpen's getting overused, you're going to put somebody on the DL, right, Anthony Bass? I mean, it's just it happens every day. Go back to um, Ed Lynch's conversation with us in May, and we were talking about the state of pitching and what's going to happen. And, uh, Joe, you and I were talking off the air this week about position players pitching, and it, it reminded me of this conversation that we had with Ed Lynch. When I came to the big leagues, Joe Torrey was my first manager, and, and he told me something very important. And uh, Bob Gibson was my first pitching coach, too, so I wasn't getting a lot of emotional feel-goodness from, <laughs> from, in that regard. But he said, Ed, go out there and throw fastballs low and away until you have to throw something else. And so I did, and I threw fastballs on the outer third of the plate in the lower third quadrant out there. And if guys were hitting ground balls or they were taking it for strikes or hitting rockets right at people, if I was getting people out, I just kept throwing it there. Use your fastball. Early in the game, use your fastball. Because you had to learn how to get through a lineup three times. So, you know, hitters your first time through are going to look at a lot of first-pitch fastballs. You know, now second or third time through, man on first and second, they're not looking at that. So that's when you come out with your breaking ball. I mean, you're trained to go through a lineup three times. Now I go to a game and I see the starting pitcher throw every pitch he has to the leadoff hitter in the game. And it just it confounds me. It's almost as if, you know, I don't know what the average start in the big leagues is now. I think last year was somewhere between five and a third and five and two thirds. And so and that number is going to go down. I can guarantee you that based on what I've seen so far this year. I mean, when you have a limited roster of 25 players and you're carrying 13 pitchers, I mean, that's very difficult on a manager. He doesn't really have that many options on his bench. And if your pitcher is out after four innings, even once or twice a week, that's a heck of a burden on your bullpen. So you're seeing a couple things now as a result of that. The number of player moves now is just incredible. I mean, any time you guys see a 15-inning game or a game that's 18 to 12, someone's getting designated after that game. Yep. Yep. Someone is getting designated, and it's always a pitcher. So I think last year in the big leagues, the Major League Baseball, I think 750-plus pitchers appeared in a Major League game, 755, something like that. That's 25 per club. So that's that's residue of of the way that the game is. And another thing, uh, to a much minor, more minor degree, but you guys have seen it already, we're seeing a lot of position players pitching these games nowadays, you know, and you never really saw that too much. Yes, we are seeing a lot of 
position players pitching in games. You saw three with the Cubs the other day, and more play more players lobbying to do it. I guess Anthony Rizzo really wants in on that. Yeah, he Madden was, was saying, he's like, I had to get Riz out of the game. That was the number one thing, because he was not going to leave me alone. Had to get him out. That to- was the biggest thing on my mind at that point. And then after the game, Chris Bryant was saying, well, boy, I hope I can do that one day and, uh, during the postgame. I'm like, Chris, you are never, ever doing that. Yeah, no disrespect to any of the guys who did pitch. Yeah. But Jose Canseco ruined his career pitching in a game. Blew out his elbow. Yes. I don't think they're going to let Anthony Rizzo pitch in a game. Chris Bryant. I mean, Mark Grace always wanted to do it. You didn't see it very often back then. It would be funny to see Rizzo do it. He didn't get to do it until he was in Arizona. Didn't he give up David Ross's first career home run? Did he? Mark Grace, I think. But you you, um. You just didn't see it all that much back then, and I, you know, it's it's happening more and more. I know Gabe Kapler was talking about it this week. Well, actually, uh, this was back from last month. I just okay. remembered he was talking about, it and I and I found some of the quotes. He said the convincing comes from the that feeling that people get, which is like this is embarrassing. Embarrassing our team talking about position players pitching. Uh, they felt like that, and people have wanted to avoid that situation for so long. But I can't come up with a good reason why that situation has been avoided for so long, or why it's embarrassing. So I've tried to. I definitely want to be sensitive to how people feel about it, but I can't think of a reason of why it should be embarrassing for me. It just seems like sensible strategy. He continued the, the list of position players that have pitched in history. It's a very small list. The statistical reassurance... Uh, wait, let me move on. Sorry about that. Uh, we're not ask, asking them to go on the mound and throw 95. I don't care if they underhand it over the plate. It doesn't <laughs> matter. If he goes up there and lobs the ball over the plate 30 times in an inning, the likelihood that he's going to get hurt is not high. And we're sharing with these guys. The radar gun isn't important here. It's not your opportunity to show us how hard you can throw it. It's see how quickly you get them to put the ball in play. It doubles, but get outs. Eventually, guys are going to hit into outs. Well, um, what Gabe Kapler says is very wise and very true. And... Given listening to Ed Lynch's comments again, given where yeah. we are, given the state of the game, given the state of pitching, given the state of rosters, given the makeup of the bullpens and the great teams and the horrible teams, the gap there is just an ocean. Why not? Why not have a plan for this? I mean, obviously, Joe does. Obviously, Gabe Kapler does. Mm-hmm. If you're down. Look, there are. I know you're not supposed to give up on a game, right? But if it's, and the Cubs have proven this year certainly that they're never out of a game. They have displayed that over and over and over again. Braves, <laughs> the Braves game. There was another one like uh, ten days ago. Where was that game? Was that on the West Coast or uh, I don't remember? But they had another huge comeback late in the game, and they lead the league in comebacks this year. Thirty-one, I believe. But if you're getting blown out and it's in a stretch where you've just abused your bullpen and it really feels like you don't have much of a chance and the other team's got their bullpen set up perfectly and it's a deep bullpen and a good bullpen and you just you, you just you weigh the odds. I mean, how many Braves comebacks are you going to have in a year? One? None? No. Okay. It's, so, it's a reason at that time the odds say like 20 to 1. Yeah. They were plus 2,000. 
on the money line then in, in the eighth inning. I mean, I think there are days where you need to be prepared for that possibility and go ahead and have guys ready to go to do that. Why is that a bad thing? I agree with Gabe Kapler. Why is that a bad thing? Save your team. You're saving guys' arms. Why waste Why nine throw Dunsing again or whoever it is or Rosario, whoever's in that situation? Yeah. You know, who would get, who's, who's going to get that mop-up work? Whoever it is, why, why waste the bullets? I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a viable strategy, and, and it's something. And what Kapler was talking about, just the embarrassment, he's trying to say, hey, you shouldn't be embarrassed. Why? Which, which you're try, you want to help the team? This would help the team. Who's embarrassed? You're already getting blown out. It's all, I mean, you, the game's over. You're getting blown out. Well, a lot of players, like Rizzo, treated it as fun. They had a blast yeah. that day. They got killed, and they were all laughing and having the best time. Almost 18 to 5. They, <laughs> they were having the best time. And, you know, Caratini, uh, you know, covered first, and that was a big deal. And I don't know. They, you know what? You're getting crushed. Rather than come in and have a team meeting and talk about how bad you were, why don't you just have some fun with it? It's fine. Give me your, uh, give me your Cub Killers. Well, you, do you want to go with the number one on your list? I'll go. Here's number one on my list. The first one I always bring up, the first one I had to look up was Mike Schmidt. Yeah, that's number that, one. That's number one for that's you. Number one. Okay, Mike Schmidt against, <laughs> against the Cubs, 78 home runs and 207 RBIs with an OPS of 985. 78 of his career, 548, okay? Uh, there's also Albert Pujols. Well, that makes sense. You know, sure. Schmidt, Schmidt and Pujols make sense. I mean, you're getting 18 games, at least in the case of Schmidt, 18 games a year against a bad Cubs team in the 70s and 80s. Pujols, 56 homers, 144 RBIs, 182 games, OPS over 1,000, on base 399 for his career against the Cubs. Carlos Lee. 39 home runs, 109 RBIs, and 148 games. OPS 900. Carlos Lee had 39 homers and 358 in his career. Fourth one, Craig Biggio. 34 homers, 109 RBIs, and 246 games against the Cubs. He didn't have 300 home runs in his career, but he had 34 against the Cubs. Those are some pretty big numbers. Uh, <laughs> Those are really good seasons. I mean, I that, Schmidt seventy eight. I mean, that's just yeah. Well, it seemed like he hit. He I mean, I remember his four. Them. I remember his four homer game. Uh, I vividly recall his his uh, homer to win the twenty three to twenty two game, which he hit off Bruce Suter, who who hung a fork ball or a split finger, whatever you want to call it, and it did not drop. And when the ball left Wrigley. It was traveling past the camera well in center field and was still rising. <laughs> it was still on its way up as it went past. Yeah, he had a pretty nice career against him. Am I making it up? I mean, he killed him at the end with the team, but it always felt in those Braves games that Jeff Blauser was just killing the Cubs. You're, you're thinking of against them as opposed to with them. Both. Yeah. I'm thinking both. That could be accurate. Yeah, okay, here it is. Here's his career against the Cubs. He hit 351 <laughs> with a 413 on base and OPS over 1,000 in 78 games. Jeff Blauser. 
had an OPS of 1,000. So they went and signed him. So, well, he's going to stop that. Maybe he'll do it for us. No, he didn't. I uh, look up, uh, you still in baseball reference? Yeah. Look up Al Oliver. See if he can find his splits against the Cubs. That was a guy who, I mean, he was a great hitter. He was a great hitter with Pittsburgh and, and Montreal. But it seemed like he was always killing the Cubs when I was a kid. Do you have his splits against the Cubs? Uh, it's coming up. One second. Um, I mean, look, you have, when you're facing a bad team 18 times a year, so you're in that division, whether it's Pittsburgh or or Philly or whoever it might have been, chances are pretty good, as was the case with uh, with Albert Pujols, that uh, your numbers are going to be pretty good. All right, he hit three thirty three and on base of three seventy two. His OPS was almost nine hundred. Um, OPS plus one twenty five, so really good. In one hundred ninety starts, two hundred one games, twenty nine homers, one hundred thirty eight RBIs. <laughs> Okay, so that wasn't my imagination then. No, he called that. Well, the other thing is t- you take a look at what, what he did the rest against the rest of the league. Does it – anybody else he had an OPS 125-plus? No, the highest was against the Cubs. There you go. Well, you know, you're getting a whole bunch of uh, Bill Bonham and Mike Kruko and Lord knows what else in the late 70s. Not good. Not good. All right, Joe, we got to get to a break. We have failed to get to the White Sox. I apologize, White fault. Sox fans. It's not my fault. It's Eli's fault. Oh, okay. I'm good at that. Okay. You're, I, I, I thought anyways. you'd be okay with that. Uh, Blauser's OPS plus against the Cubs is 167. Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. This, this hour coming up, we will get to the White Sox. There's a lot more Cubs uh, conversation we need to have uh, from things that have happened, not just the last few days, but the last few months. Uh, we have guests as well. Mike Farron at 11. Um, and uh, we will get to your phone calls. I know several of you on hold. I apologize for that. We'll do that next on Hit and Run on the Score. There's a high fly to left. Look out now. Look out. It's gone. It's a home run by Schmidt. Oh, brother. Mike Schmidt has just gotten his second home run of the day, and now the Phillies lead in this ball game by a score of 23-22. to 22. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.